And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4 this morning, starting in verse 7, working through 16. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you there in the rows, it's page 977. Uh, my name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. And if you're new with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you would maybe take a couple of moments just to fill out this Connect card you found in your seat. It's our way of getting to know you. So uh, feel free to do that uh, during the sermon. I uh, will not, uh, you know, hold it against you. I won't assume that you're not paying attention. Or if you take, you, I just think you're taking notes on the sermon, right? So feel free to, to take the Connect card, fill that out uh, as we go through Ephesians 4. And I just want to pray one more time that God would speak to us. Uh, this is his word. I just communicate as best I can his message each, each week when I have the opportunity to preach. So uh, let's ask God to speak to us, okay? Would you ask him to speak to you as, as we uh, dive into his word? God, thank you for how that you have spoken. You've spoken by sending your son the very image of you, the, the, the revelation of you, the, the divine word. God, you have spoken to us. You have made yourself known in the person of your son, in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, you have given us this 66 book, book we call the Bible. And you have spoken to us. And so, God, it's our prayer that you would speak to us today, that we would hear from you, that we would be comforted, encouraged, and motivated to respond in the ways that you lead us to respond. Father, you know our needs better than we know our needs. You know uh, what you want to do in our lives, and so, God, we pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things that I love about Boston is our skyline. Now, I, I know that there are some other cities that maybe have a more impressive skyline than Boston in terms of the number of buildings and the height of the buildings, but, but I, for one, love our city, and I love our skyline. And I think it's awesome when you come into the city, whether you're coming in from the south or the west or the north, to see the skyline of Boston and to see how these buildings just tower over the life that is going on beneath them. Most of you are probably familiar if you've been in, or maybe you're just visiting Boston, but, but you already kind of know some of the prominent buildings that, that uh, spire up around our city. You have the Hancock Tower. It's the, it's the largest and, and well, it's the tallest building in our city. You have the Prue that's just down the street on Boylston. It's the second largest building in our city. Then you have a number of buildings that uh, littered the financial district that, that kind of make up that harbor skyline that we uh, love and, and can see. And so um, I don't know about you, but I love, I love the skyline of our city. And, and I'm, I'm excited because in Boston right now, uh, there are plans and proposals for a number of buildings to continue to rise up and kind of match what we're already seeing across 
our city. So there's some great developments going on. I wanna show a few of them to you. Uh, number one, we have the TD Garden Towers. Okay, these um, are going to be right by the, 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 the TD Garden where the Celtics and the Bruins play. Uh, you can see the Zykem Bridge there. Uh, these are gonna be up to about 600 feet. They're gonna be a couple of them there. And uh, it's gonna be a, a beautiful addition to uh, our city. Then you have another couple of buildings that are, that are uh, hopefully in the works. This is on the harbor. It's gonna be called Harbor Square on the waterfront. You can see the custom uh, building there with the clock. Uh, these, these, these two buildings are gonna be about 600 feet plus. All right, not bad. Uh, then we have the Millennium Tower. Anybody work downtown, financial district? Okay, we got Washington Street there. It's already going up right there on Washington. Uh, it's gonna be 625 feet high. Okay, now we're getting closer to the 750-foot Hancock Tower. Um, then another proposal, we have the Four Seasons. Uh, this is not uh, the best view, but um, this is going to be um, in the uh, Christian Science Plaza, okay, about 700 feet. And then finally, Transnational Place, um, which is going to be about 740 feet on federal. Actually, the one you saw before that was uh, the, the, the transnational. That's transnational. And then boom, you have um, the one going up around Christian science. Now, I just want to show you what's in the works, all right? And this, this inspires me. I wish that I had the skills to get in on building these kind of buildings, all right? I just, I just think it would be kind of cool if I could get my fingerprints in on the job, all right, and help build these massive skyscrapers around our city. Anybody, can anybody identify with that? Would that be kind of nice? Say like, man, I helped. I put a nail in that, you know? 34th floor, I don't know, it'd be, be kind of cool. Um, but, but, but for those of you that know me, know that I can never do that, all right? I mean, I have progressed, I have made strides from hanging pictures on the wall, all right? This is big, all right? This is big. That's not a walk in the park, by the way, hanging a picture. Get it straight, right? Don't like watch the plaster crumbling. Um, to now hanging curtains above the window frames. Huh? That's, that's quite laborious at times, too, all right? You get the wrong piece of wood, and you're like, man, you know, you didn't charge the power drill enough. Anybody been there? Um, so, so needless to say, man, I would never get hired to, you know, uh, participate in the building of one of these skyscrapers. And some of you can identify with me, all right? I mean, the closest thing you come to, you know, a, 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 a builder or a carpenter is, you know, your, your, your 15 minutes in Home Depot where you kind of like feel a little more manly because you, you went or, or more womanly. And, uh, and, you know, you only know like 5% of the items that are there anyway. And like, you know, I really want to know what a two boy four is, but like I need to ask somebody just in case I get it wrong, you know, that kind of deal. Um, so, so, so needless to say, man, no one's going to invite me to participate in the building of this future skyline of our city. But here's some good news, all right? Jesus is building a city. Jesus builds his city by his people. He is the master builder and the master architect, but what he invites us to is to get our fingerprints in on his mission of what he is building through his people. And so listen, you, you may not have 
any kind of skills to build physical buildings. But listen, if you are in Christ, then God has given you everything you need to pick up a hammer and swing it for Jesus and be in on this master building project that he is building in his people known as the church. And so the vision this morning that arises from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 is this. Everyone building for the good of everyone. Okay, did you catch that kind of grammatical twist there? I hope you got that, all right? Everyone, each and everyone, building for the sake and the good of everyone, all of us. This is, this is the beauty of what God invites us to. To put it simply, we can say everyone for everyone. This is the vision that God has for his church. And so we saw last week this transition in chapter four where Paul had been highly doctrinal, teaching a lot about God and who we are in him and Christ and his work in the gospel and how he has now given us the gospel to share with others in chapters one, two, and three. And then in verse one of chapter four, we saw he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now he's, he's moving from uh, this theology to uh, how we should put this theology, this truth about God into practice in our daily lives. And the first six verses were saying, look, we need to be a unified church. We need to walk uh, worthy of God by sticking together, being patient with one another, being gentle, being forgiving, being patient, working together in light of who God is. But then in, in verse 7, we see a transition where Paul moves from unity to diversity that exists within this unity. And, and check this out. The diversity is actually given so that we would be more unified. All right? So I hope you just catch that. 1 through 6, unity. 7 through 11, diversity for the sake of unity. 12 through 16. That's Paul's flow, if you will. Okay? So um, that's just how we talk around here. It's movement, how he's working through flow. Got it? Got it. All right. So, so I just want to put forth a vision for you this morning. All right? Just see, see, it, see it in the text. This is, this is one of my prayers for our church, okay? And, and three points, here we go, working through the text. I, I hope, I pray that we can be a church where everyone uses their God-given gifts to serve everyone. You got it? Everyone using their God-given gifts to serve everyone. Now, verse, verse 7 informs us that Christ has given gifts to his people. Let's read these 11 verses together. Here we go. But grace was given to, say that, each one of us. All right, let's try that again. All right, maybe you weren't there yet. All right, let's try that again. Um, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Thank you. That's better. Right. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and 
teachers. Okay, so, so Paul starts out and he says, look, there has, there has been given by Christ, Jesus himself gives gifts to his people and it is a diversity of gifts. So wouldn't, just think about this for a moment. Wouldn't Redemption Hill be a boring place? Wouldn't we just experience a ton of monotony if everyone were like me? Just think about that for a moment. Some of you are laughing, and, and I'm not offended, okay? I'm not. I mean, you were just like, man, this place would be bonkers, man. This place would not be right if everyone were like you. But let me just flip the question. I mean, what if everyone were, were, were like you? I mean, that's, that, 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 that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be um, robust and, and an exciting place, right? But, because, but God has given us a diversity of gifts. He has made us all different. We all have what some have called a unique shape, all right? Some of us are very compassionate and merciful. We love to take time out of our busy schedules to serve other people. Some of us are highly organized. I mean, we can see the, 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 the big picture, but, but we can also see how these nuts and bolts of the details happen, and we love to, to, to plan out and to detail it out, and other, others of us just don't know what to do with, with a set of organization and processes and how we're actually going to get something done, but we see the vision, right? Some of us love people. You put us in a room with a couple hundred people. Man, we're feeling energized. Man, we're, we're feeling good. We can't wait. We wish we could have talked to all 200 people. Like, if, if there are only 200 people there, we wish, like, there were 202, so we could have just got two more conversations in. But then others of us are like, man, you know what? I'm just kind of drained. I'm tired. I don't do as well when I mean, I love people, but, but I don't want to spend my whole day in a crowd, in a party, in that kind of setting. God has made us all different. He's made us all with a different shape. And so this, this language of shape is one that we like to use around redemption. It's just an acronym for, for five characteristics that will help you if you think about them and, and live this out in community. You can have others help you discern your shape in God's kingdom, okay? So number one, uh, spiritual gifts, S. What has God supernaturally gifted you to do? We all have gifts that, that he gives us to, to serve others in the life of a church and even outside the quote-unquote walls of a church. God gives us gifts that, that he wants us to use. Uh, number two, our heart. What, what do you have a passion for? What do you love to do? If you could divide your time anyway, how would you want to spend your time uh, serving others and, and, and your greatest passions? A is abilities. What, where do you have natural talents? What, what skills do you have that you can employ for the purposes of God? P is your personality. We talked a little bit about this. Where does your personality best suit you to serve? We're all different. We all have different strengths in our personality. And God uses every personality, introvert, extrovert, isovert, undervert. I don't even know what that is. He uses us all, right? And then lastly, our experience. How do your experiences shape how you can best serve? Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience. Everyone has a shape, and God designs us all so that we can play different roles and different parts in 
his team in this building project that he is the master builder over. And so it even says in verse seven, check this out, each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. I mean, God gifts some people a little more strongly in different areas than he does others, but, but listen to this, okay? It does not make us less than responsible, okay? You see, like, you see some of us have a, a teaching gift or some of us are very evangelistic or some of us are very merciful, okay? That doesn't mean that the rest of us don't need to be merciful, right? Or don't need to share God's word, so, so just because someone is more gifted than you than in a particular area doesn't make you less than responsible. Everybody follow me? Shake your head. Got it? But if you are gifted in a particular way and you do have a certain kind of shape that lends itself to particular areas of service in the church, I do want to say it makes you more responsible. You got it? Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so God doesn't distribute his gifts so that we can just kind of sit on our hands, lay back, and watch everyone else do the hammering. He's given us a shape so that we can employ it in his service. And, and, and make no mistake here, God gives these gifts. He is the one who distributes the gifts. We saw in chapter two that we are saved by God's grace, right? It couldn't be any more clear. There's, there's no works involved in our salvation. God graces us with salvation through Christ and our faith in him. It's all of grace. But verse seven clearly tells us that we also serve by grace. God gifts us with different strengths, different gifts, different abilities, so that we can also serve by the grace that he gives us. So, so, so look back at verse eight. This is a quotation of Psalm 68, and I love, I love, this is, this is hitting me in a new way right now, okay? Uh, I love what this says. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so, so here, what do we have here? We have a picture of victory and ascendancy, all right? This is a picture of Jesus who lived a perfect life, died a cruel death in our place, rose again from the dead, and then ascended victorious over sin, Satan, death, all demonic rules and authorities, okay? He, he took them captive, he imprisoned them, and, and now he is in charge giving his gifts to people. So what we have here in, in Psalm 68 that Paul is quoting is, is a, a note of victory that is saying because Jesus has all the power, because Christ has ascended, we now operate out of his victory and get to serve on the winning team. You got that? I mean, when someone wins the gold medal, okay, they're not on the floor, right? They're like up on the platform so everyone can see them. When, when, when the, the Sox win, win the World Series in 2015, all right, we're gonna, put a, we're gonna put a banner up high in Fenway Park so everyone can see that. 18 banners the Celtics have in, in the rafters of the garden. They're all hanging up high so everyone can see that. And Jesus ascended on high and he was then able to distribute his gifts to his people so that we could serve in the church for the common good of everyone. Verse 11 says that he's gifted certain leaders 
to build in the church for the common good. Apostles and prophets are probably referring to uh, who he uh, says at the end of chapter two, that the the foundation of the church is built upon the the apostles and the prophets, those who had seen the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, pointed to Christ and his work. But but we also then have evangelists, pastors, teachers. There's a question if, if pastors and teachers are two different people or if it's pastor teachers because Pastors must be gifted to teach, right, so that they can uh, shepherd and, and feed God's, God's people with his word that sustains us and gives us life. So th- this, this evangelist and teacher are, are, are two uh, leadership positions in the church that feed the word to both outsiders and insiders in the church. And why has he done this? Why has he gifted everyone in the church? It is so that we can build toward a common goal. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. This is why God has gifted us. Not to keep the gifts to ourselves, but to, but to just put them on display, to exercise them for the common good of everyone around us. And that takes us to the second part of the vision. All right? Number two Let's be a church where everyone builds until everyone reaches maturity in Christ. Everyone, each and every one of us builds until everyone reaches maturity in Christ. Let's read verses 12 and 13. He's, he's given these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what does verse 12 tell us? Why has God gifted leaders in the church? It is to equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry, for for, for getting in the game, for serving, for building up the body of Christ. This is why we have pastors after all, all right? This is why I'm one of the pastors. This, this is my job description. And so to, the word equip means to supply what is lacking, all right? And many of you would say, you know what, man, I, I'm growing, but I, don't, I need to grow in how to, how to read my Bible, how to, how to love my neighbor, how to serve and, and exercise my shape, and, and, and how to, to be a light in my neighborhood and in my workplace. And so part of our job as leaders is, is to help you in that, to supply what may be lacking so that you can grow where God has you. Um, but but, but who, does, who, who does the work? It's the saints, right? So, so what, is, what is a saint? A saint is someone who follows Jesus. It's someone, someone who has committed their life to following him. And so everyone does the work in the church. Everyone. It's not the pros. It's not the spiritually elite, if there were such, such a thing, all right? It is everyone. This verse sets forth an absolute call for God's work to belong in the hands of everyone. I want you to say this. That's me. That's pretty good, all right? Say it again. That's me. That's you. That's me. That's us, right? Everyone. 
Everyone gets in on this. Everyone has an opportunity to get in the game. Everyone has an opportunity to pick up their hammer and work for Jesus. This is how God has gifted us as a church. We, we say it as often as we possibly can, all right? If Redemption Hill is going to be a great church, as God calculates greatness, whatever that means, all right? It doesn't just mean a lot of people coming, okay? It means we're growing in Christ, we're serving others, we're loving our city, we're laying our lives down for others, we're there for one another when we're hurting and sick and tired, okay? It's all of that, making disciples, caring about the nations, giving away what God has entrusted to us. Okay, I could keep going. But, but as God calculates greatness, Redemption Hill will be a great church if and only if everyone gets in on this thing. Can't be just a few people. Can't just be the leaders. Has to be all of us bought into the mission that Jesus has given us. He ascended and left the work in our hands so that we would be about his work as uh, his, his hands and feet in the world. So just, just imagine this. What if, anybody see our new website? Got it, got it revised this week and maybe caught that in the newsletter. All right, what if we, on our leadership page, at, the, at somewhere, maybe we should even put this at the top, what if we just put volunteer staff and had a picture of you? Everyone. I mean, this, this is how practical we are thinking about this as leadership, okay? Everyone is involved in the work of ministry. Someone once said this. I think this is so insightful. As a church grows, and we, by God's grace, are a growing church in Medford. As a church grows, so does its number of passengers. As a church grows so does its number of passengers. You hear that, right? Man, there are a lot of people there, a lot of people serving, a lot of people sharing, a lot of people inviting, a lot of people teaching the kids. They don't need me. I can just sit back. I can just recline a little bit, man. Everything's taken care of. If that is our attitude, how does that square with the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ to give gifts to every one of his followers? It does not square at all, right? He wants you in the game. He died and rose again so that you could be in the game, so that you could pick up your hammer and get to work. I have a Muslim friend in Medford. I think he's from Pakistan. And uh, I met him out and about. He's a, he's a grad student around here. And, uh, and I've, you know, just a couple, after a couple conversations, you know, I, like, you know I, I serve as a pastor of a church here in Medford. I don't know if you'd ever be interested, man, but I'd love for you to come sometime. And I gave him a card. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, can I come as an observer? And then the light bulbs went off, and I knew that, that for someone who really identifies themselves as a Muslim, they, they, they're not, they would not never come into our space as a participant in worship, right? Because they don't believe what we believe, nor do we believe what they believe. And so after he said, of course, we can come as an observer, right? We would love for you to come and observe, but the prayer, 
The prayer is that everyone who comes, even as an observer, would leave as a participant. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you are in Christ, but you would have to say, I am more of an observer than a participant. And if that's you, man, we love you. We're thankful for you. We've all been there. We all slip back into that from time to time. Don't be discouraged. But just know that Jesus wants to put his arm around you. And he says, hey, let's get in the game. Let's pick up our hammer and work together. If you've come here as an observer this morning, just know that that Jesus came and lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died so that you can have the most deeply satisfying life both here on this earth and for all eternity with him. That's why Jesus came. That's what we celebrate in this season of Easter, the crucifixion, the substitutionary death in our place. Jesus died for our sin to forgive us and give us life. So you, you have the opportunity through faith in him, trusting in what he did to become a participant in his city that he is building. So let me just ask you, how are you using your shape so that God might accomplish his work through you. And just remember that. It's always his work that he is doing through us. We build, but behind our building is the master builder. He is the one who builds his church. And he does a really good job of it after all. So, so just, just think about this. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to do. So, so what are you up to these days? How, how are you serving How are you in the game? How are you picking up your hammer and nails and and chipping away at this day by day? However, However you may stumble kind of through that in your feeble attempts, let's continue taking steps. Here are some ideas. How about praying for your friend? Getting on your knees and offering up desperate prayers to God like we've been talking about for the past few weeks at Redemption Hill. That is the work of ministry. It is. What about calling to check on on someone who's going through a difficult time? That's the work of ministry. What about sharing an encouraging portion of scripture or sitting down and walking someone through God's word, explaining to them what it means and and its relevance for our lives? That is the work of ministry. What about plugging into a community group, not just so that you can be invested in and grow, but so you can be a part of that group so that you can encourage someone else because after all, it's everyone for everyone around here. And so maybe... You could, you could consider that. That's the work of ministry. What about teaching our kids in Transformation Station? We can hear them back there from time to time, all right? And they, they need more teachers, man. They need, they need uh, servants that'll say, you know what? I don't have to be in here every Sunday, but I can go back there once, one Sunday a month every so often, and I can volunteer my time to help those kids understand the gospel. That's the work of ministry. What about this? Confessing your wrongs. Extending forgiveness when wronged. Being patient with a coworker. I went to multiple community groups over the past few weeks, and these are the kind of conversations we're having because we're all growing and we're all in this thing together. And, and, and that is the work of ministry, right? And, and the work of ministry, please hear this. The work of ministry Is, is driven by, is enhanced by 
a deeper love for Christ. So when we spend time with God and we hear from him in his word and we pray and we get together with other brothers and sisters who are in the family of God, all of these things fuel the ministry that we should be engaged in because of the intimacy that we're building with God in the first place. It's always intimacy before ministry. It's always a love for God that he's building in us that is gonna flow out into a love for others and those around us. So we talk about this. It is Christ in us so that it might be Christ through us. That is the goal. And so why are we, why are we about this? Verse 13 explains it. In three different uh, phrases that all, all say the same goal, all right, almost like, st- like we talked about a couple weeks ago, like stair steps in the overarching goal. There are three things that, that Paul is, is after here in this work of ministry, building one another up in Christ. Okay, number one, he says, to attain to, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So this means we have one mind and one heart because of our shared trust in Jesus, acknowledging him as the Savior and Lord of our lives. Number two, he says to mature manhood. If you look at the footnote in your Bible, it might say in the Greek, it says to a full-grown man. So, so not like a child who is still developing and doesn't know how to, 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 to do everything yet, but he's saying we grow up, we progress, we develop into the people that God wants us to be. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and this is the, the impossible uh, possible goal, all right? You like that? I just made that up. The impossible possible goal is that we would progress to the full measure of the stature of Christ himself. God saved us so that we would reflect Jesus in all things. He wants us to be like Christ. Day by day, year by year, we are becoming a little more like Jesus. That's that's what's happening when God grabs a hold of someone's life. We just sang about it, right? I am not the same. I've been adopted. I've been lifted. I've been forgiven. And because of all of these gospel realities, God is changing my heart to where I I don't live like I used to live. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't relate to people the way I used to relate to them because God is building this in me, and he's changing me to make me more like Jesus. And so that is the, the, the process of the Christian life is to progressively, increasingly grow to be more like Jesus. And one day, we will be with him and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. First John chapter three tells us. So, so listen, let's not stop praying that God would so fill us with his love. You remember this in chapter three, verses 14 through 19? Go back and read it if you missed that Sunday and didn't catch up online, okay? Because the prayer is that we would so deeply know the love of God in Christ, being strengthened by his spirit, that we would move on to what? All the fullness of God. That's the goal. That is saying that we would be like Christ to the full fullness of the, 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 the measure of the stature of Christ. And so before we move on, let me just, let me just say this again. That, that, that first phrase in verse, th- verse 13, look back at it. Until what? Until we all attain. And so let's just be honest with one another. 
We often, I often, approach my relationship with God with blinders on. Man, if I'm growing, if I'm reading my Bible, if, if I'm making progress in the faith, if I'm loving my family like I ought to love them, if I'm seeking to give myself away in the context of this church to build others up, if I'm seeking to share the gospel, man, I'm, I'm a pretty happy guy, right? Is, can, you, can you identify with that? But, but there's, there's, really, there's really nothing individual in this passage. There's really not. It is a corporate project until we all attain. So let me ask you this. Are you satisfied if you are growing in Christ, but the person around you is not also growing in Christ? That's the kind of question we need to be asking ourselves. This is the kind of question that, that Ephesians 4 demands that we ask. I want to get to the place, and I should be there as a pastor, but I'm not there every day. Let me just be honest. I want to get to the place where I care more about Lionel's progress and Christie's progress and Talita's progress than my own progress. And you know what is so good about God? Let me just, I'm just going to preach a little bit here. It's ain't in my notes, all right? When I do that, what happens? Dude, man, I'm growing. You can't stop me from growing because I'm growing because I'm so concerned about someone else, man. My eyes aren't on me. My eyes are on him. My eyes are on them. Y'all want me to rap? That's good, man. That is some, until we all attain. This is the goal. Everyone building until everyone reaches maturity in Christ. I'm going to calm down, move on to point three now. All right. This is, this is why we're building though, right? Everyone for everyone. Everyone speaks truth and stays connected so that everyone grows. Look in verses 14 through 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, two distinct themes that I see here. When we talk about building toward maturity and growing in Christ, these two, these two themes hopefully are true of us as we're engaged in this work. Very simple, okay? Number one, we're speaking the truth in love. Not all teaching is good teaching. Not everything that you see on TV when someone is standing with a Bible open is truth. There is plenty of false teaching going around the churches of Boston and around uh, the, 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 the internet and the TV, whatever. You know, like we have to test everything we hear against the, the corpus of God's word and say, like, is that really true? 
Because you start hearing, man, Jesus wants you to be rich. Jesus wants you to be healthy all the time. I mean, like, yes, God wants us to, to be healthy, all right? But that doesn't mean that, that life is always going to be that way. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be suffering in our lives. And we can't think about the Passion Week and, and, and the crucifixion of Christ and assume that our God would make us exempt from trials and suffering. But there is glory in the trial. There is glory in our suffering. We depend on God, and God works in us, and he puts his glory on display through us when we suffer. So don't buy that junk that, you know, oh, God wants you to make a million. We can fly around on our private jets. This is what it is. You give $1,000, and, you know, God's going to give you 4000 back. It's like, that's not the gospel. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. That's false teaching. A little more false teaching. What about this, man? Oh, Jesus, man, you know, Jesus died on the cross. That was great, but, but he's not the only way to God. He's not, isn't that, no, man, this is, man, we're in Boston after all, man, everything's cool. Like, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. Man, we're all going to the same place. We all believe in the same God after all. We cannot meditate on the cross and assume that Jesus bore the wrath of God, the judgment and condemnation that we deserved because there were a lot of different ways to God. His holiness demanded a perfect sacrifice. The only perfect sacrifice was his perfect son. And this compels us to mission. This compels us to love all people. It may not be a popular message, but it is a saving message. It is the message that people need to hear in love, right? So we, we speak the truth. We know doctrine, but we speak it in love. Love must motivate what we share, and love must motivate how we share it. I know a lot of times we'll kind of lean one way or the other. Man, we're just really truthful. We're not as merciful as, you know, we maybe would like to be. But then some of us are like, man, we're really loving, but it's hard for us to share truth. But, but, but none of those are, are what God is after in our lives, all right? He wants us to, to frequently speak the truth. But every time we speak the truth, he wants us to do so with a heart of love. If, if you have something that someone needs to hear, and you probably do, but by the way, you probably have something that you need to hear too, all right? But, 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 but before you speak that truth, would you consider just kind of pausing and saying like, God, is my heart in the right place? Am I, really, am I really sharing this because I love them and I want to see them come to Christ or grow in Christ and experience the life that he wants us to live? Love has to motivate everything. But when it does, God can use that truth for his glory. And then, and then number two, we need to stay connected to one another. This is what verses 15 and 16 are talking about. We speak the truth and love to one another and then it says that, that, that we are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when it is working properly. So, so think about this. Growth happens through points of contact. 
when we do life together, when we hang out together, when we rub shoulders, when we serve together, when we get together and pray together, when we share the truth with one another, all right, and all these different things, all right, that is how we grow together. You show me someone that is here every Sunday and in a community group, I'm just telling you that by the consequence of being in Christian community, there is a high likelihood that they're going to be making progress in their faith. Now, I don't say that to condemn anyone who isn't here every Sunday or, you know, who hasn't been able to get connected in a community group yet. That's not my goal, all right? I'm just trying to make the point that the natural consequence of points of contact, I mean, that's why I want to marry Marsha, you know? I mean, I was like, if I can spend time with someone like her, that's going to help me be a better man, you know what I'm saying, all right? That's some brownie points, I know. Uh, but <laughs> you guys got it? We don't just connect for connecting's sake. We, we connect for the sake of the gospel at work in us that, that it might flow through us. So let's, let's look at this last phrase and let's end with this. Verse 16. When each part is working properly, this is what happens. I love this. It makes the body grow. The body is the church. It's just a metaphor for the church. The church grows so that it builds itself up in love. And so we, I've already said it in this sermon. We said it last week. We said it the week before and the week before that. Love must be the foundation of everything. It's love. It's, it's love, the love of God filling our heart so that we pour out that same love to one another. And so just this week, as we consider the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, let's allow that love, the love that spared no expense, the love that stood in our place, the love that bore the wrath that we deserved, the love that is limitless, it's long and it's high and it's deep and it's strong and it's true and it's pure. Let's allow that love to so change our perspective and change our hearts that, that the natural consequence of our life is everyone for everyone. It's concerned about everyone that we meet, everyone in our workplace, everyone in our neighborhood. Listen, we want to invite people for Easter, right? There are more invite cards in your worship guide. We've been talking about this for weeks. But the goal of these invitations is so that people can know the love of God in Christ. And so what, what a great prayer. We've been praying for impossibilities around here. What if we prayed that, you know, like half of us in the room didn't just get to invite someone to an Easter service this week, but we actually got to share the hope that we have in Christ with someone this week. That is what we're after. We want to see God work in us, that he might work through us. And it's also that his light can shine brighter and brighter in this city so that more people can be drawn and attracted to that light. Let's pray together. God, your word is so challenging and stirring. It's real. 
And we're thankful that you have spoken to us. So Father, it's our prayer now that we would, we would just ask, what would you have us do? How would you have us respond? Lord, if we have been too much of an observer, God, move us to greater participation. If we have been too self-absorbed, Lord, move us to greater concern for others. Not just that we would make progress, but that others would make progress in Christ. Lord, we want to be a church where everyone is working for the good of everyone. And God, we look forward, we look forward to the kind of church that we could be all for your fame and glory as you work in us. Lord, that is our prayer. God, change us and use us for the sake of your name in this great city that you're building. We pray in Christ's name, amen.